Welcome to Genuine Life Recovery. We're here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other addiction-related mental health challenges. In this show, we dive into the physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual aspects of addiction, mental health, recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. You can listen on your favorite app or at jodystevens.org. Genuine Life Recovery is made possible by great friends like Joshua's Heart in memory of Joshua Brent Moore, bringing hope, love, and awareness to those afflicted by addiction online at joshesheart.org and Jody Stevens Productions for commercial voiceover, narration, production, MC, and public speaking online at jodystevens.org. Hey friends, welcome back to Genuine Life Recovery. My name's Jody Stevens, flying solo this time around. How's everybody doing? So glad you could join us. I was recently in Sacramento. For those of you that don't know, I used to do morning drive for a Christian music station in Sacramento. And I still go back there four or five times a year to help out with fundraising. And so we had this really cool fundraiser through Cross International where we were raising money to provide food and water and a Christian education to kids literally living on the brink of poverty, living on the brink of death in Central America, places like Haiti, Guatemala. But one of the things that happens when I travel is I eat way too much. It's like this excuse to just go on a bender, not alcohol or drugs, but like a food bender. So really, I I had what's called a relapse. It wasn't a drug and alcohol relapse, but you get the idea. You know, I'd been on this program doing the Mediterranean diet, lost about 15, 20 pounds and just kind of went off the deep end. Then came back. We celebrated my husband's birthday because his birthday's on Valentine's Day, my Valentine's baby. And then uh, I bought these red velvet cupcakes and I'm just inhaling them. And my husband's like, you know, you're going to regret that when you get on the scale. And I'm like, yeah. So that's a little of what (laughs) happens to me because it's common to quit one substance and fill it with another. And if we're not careful, we can do this. So relapse is actually what we're talking about today uh, on this program, relapse in addiction and recovery, because addiction is, it's, um, it's not a linear thing, right? It's a one day at a time thing, but it's not linear, like life's not linear. You know, I was talking to a guy who was like, you know, I went back to school later, which I did in any he likes to say that he did life backwards. And I'm like, there's no doing life backwards. There's no, you know, there's no step one, step two, step three. We like to make it seem like it, but there really isn't. So it's a journey marked by triumph, tribulation, courage, perseverance, falling down, falling apart, picking ourselves back up. It can be complex in its simplicity. And so we're going to look at relapse because I want people to understand that relapse isn't failure, that it's usually a pretty normal and natural part of the recovery process, despite what um, some people might have you think. We'll talk about some strategies for reducing the impact of relapse, reducing relapse in and of itself, finding serenity in the midst of the chaos of relapse, understanding some of the root causes, 
seeking the Lord through this process along the way. Um, so let's just take a look at relapse. What is relapse? So it's something that's always in our mind. It's something that's always there. If we're sober from drugs and alcohol, it doesn't mean it's something we always do. It's just the thought of it, the risk of it. It's always there kind of looming in the background. And no matter how hard we try, sometimes this addiction will pull us back in. But that's not the end of the road, right? That's a, that's a bump in the road. And oftentimes, it's just part of the deal. Like 60% of people in recovery will have at least one relapse during during their recovery process, maybe more. It's not because you're weak. It's not because you're not trying hard enough. It's the nature of the beast. We know that addiction is difficult to beat for many reasons, for psychological reasons, for physical reasons, for genetic reasons. You know, we've gone into all that on uh, other shows as well. So don't beat yourself up. So if you have a relapse, it can be a wake-up call. It can be a reminder that, hey, we're in this for the long haul. It's not like I just got sober, got a sponsor, or went to celebrate recovery, or went to AA or went to Overeaters Anonymous and did the deal for a couple weeks, and now I'm just fixed. The relapse reminds us to pick ourselves back up because it's a daily deal. It's a daily joyous walk, and it can be a daily struggle depending on where you're at, you know? Um, it's like chronic illness or diabetes or hypertension. You know, if you look at addiction from the disease model, then it is going to be something that we're always going to battle, especially if it runs in the family. And if you have the family dynamics of addiction, so maybe there's some genetic stuff. But with the genetics of addiction, um, there's also a lot of chaotic behavioral issues that sort of get ingrained in our brain and stuff. And so these are, you know, some of the reasons why it's challenging to beat, um, beat our addiction, but it is possible. But again, relapse can happen. It can be part of the process. So it's also a great reminder to not beat ourselves up, to practice self-compassion, self-kindness, not blaming or shaming ourselves to death. You know, you want to learn and you want to grow, right? You want to have life lessons. When we sin, let's just say, if you're a Christian like me, God doesn't immediately beat us up. We usually learn a lesson through it. So we learn lesson after lesson after lesson. Uh, it's when we just refuse to learn from the problems that eventually he lets us sink deeper and deeper and deeper till we're, you know, on the floor in a fetal position. And that's the same thing with relapse. You know, we want to look at what happened, learn from it, and then grow from there. Everything is a growing process, right? Every relapse is a chance to do better the next time. Every time we get fired from a job, it's a chance to do better the next time, given that we were fired for our own, you know, behavioral issues or things like that, right? So um, again, 
the setbacks are about figuring out how how we do better next time. So not looking at relapse as failure. It's a sign that we're human. We're still learning. We're still growing. We're still fighting. So we want to keep pushing forward one day at a time, one step at a time, because that's what recovery is all about. We're resilient. We we persevere. You know, we 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 don't give up. You know, I tried to get sober many times by myself without going to meetings, without getting sponsors. And every single time I could throw together a few days here and there, maybe even a few weeks. And then ultimately I would relapse and be like, what happened? Well, I didn't have any tools to figure out why I was relapsing or what was going on or that I had an anxiety problem or that I just kept drinking because it made me feel better. It made me deal with rejection, low self-esteem. So there wasn't, like, I didn't even have any tools. If you don't have any tools, you're going to keep relapsing. You know, especially if you don't even know why you're relapsing or why you're using or drinking in the first place. Because remember, we all do stuff for a reason. Most people don't just, I mean, some people just like to party. Okay, I get that. But usually once the addiction sets in it's and, and we continue in this lifestyle, we're doing it for a reason. And we want to figure out what the reason is so that we can replace that with some healthier things that don't involve drugs and alcohol, right? Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit too. So one of the things that happens when we relapse is we kind of get the case of the screw it, for lack of a better word. The clinical term is abstinence violation effect, which is super funny sounding, I know. But think of it, think think of this. Okay, all right, so you're in recovery, you've made this commitment, you've got about nine months sober, you're just rocking along, your loved ones are so proud of you, you know, you're staying away from the drugs, the alcohol, whatever it is, you're doing super well, you're feeling strong, like Rocky, you know, and then something happens, you slip up, you're at a party, whatever, you give in to the temptation, right? And and then rather than being kind to yourself, all this negativity comes in, this, this, this tidal wave of emotions coming over you. And, um, you're full of, of guilt, shame. There's an overwhelming sense that you're just a failure. Um, and, and everything that you've worked so hard at just slips away in your mind. Okay. Um, you know, feelings of guilt and shame are powerful. Negative emotions are the number one cause of relapse. So this can drag you down you feel like you're a loser. You're not good enough. You, you'll never be able to overcome this addiction. All this stuff, if we let it, can start to come in. This is dangerous because then it increases this risk of further relapse, becomes this vicious cycle. And when we let that negativity take over, that's when we will say something like, 
well, I had a shot of tequila, so screw it. I might as well just drink the whole bottle. I had that one red velvet cupcake, so I might as well eat like eight more. So that's what we get into. I relapse, so I might as well go on a whole bender and spend five days getting drunk and blacking out. And let's face it, it feels pretty good. So that's part of why we do it. We're full of guilt and shame. And the other part is, well, I'm having a good time and I already screwed up. I'm already a loser, so I might as well just keep going. That's what we do instead of stopping, right? And this is what I do all the time. I do it with food now, but I used to do it with the alcohol. It's like, well, frigate, you know, I, I had a beer, so I might as well have 20. <laughs> really? Like, why? Like, why? Why, why should you might as well have 20? So anyway, th this is this is kind of the time when we need that support and to not let the negative emotions come in, to, to look at, okay, what's happening here? What can I learn from this? Right? One cupcake doesn't ruin the whole diet. 50 is kind of a problem right? One beer doesn't ruin all the work you've done. A hundred beers is kind of a problem. You could go on a bender. You could get arrested. You could kill someone in the car when you're driving drunk, things like that. But here's the thing, the relapse, that doesn't erase all the progress you've made, all the things that you've learned. So that's why you don't want to get into that abstinence violation effect. You know, you don't want to get into all that guilt and shame. It's a, it's just a setback. And we all have setbacks. Like it's just another setback in life, not the end of the road, not the end of the journey. You're still moving forward. You're still growing. You're still learning. Uh, right? So that's where that self-compassion comes in. I know that's like a buzzword right now. Be good to yourself and all that stuff. But but I mean, I mean it like in this instance, you really have to, because if, if this negative guilt and shame is the number one cause of relapse, it's not going to do you much good to beat yourself up about it. It's going to do you a lot of good to look at what happened, right? They call this uh, humility. Humility says, I'm not the best. I'm not the worst. I'm just human. And we tend to look at ourselves in extremes, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm narcissistic and I'm so wonderful and perfect and great and everyone loves me, or I'm just a loser. I'm no good. I'm a failure. But really, it's, it's somewhere in between, right? We look at ourselves as, you know, in humility, right? I made a mistake. Not the best, not the worst. I'm human. And pick myself up and keep going. right? I stumble along the way. And it's okay. I just, I need to learn from it. Because if I, if I don't learn from it, it's going to keep happening. So what caused the relapse? What are the triggers? Could be just hanging out with friends like, oh, I went back to those people that love to drink and use drugs or shoot heroin or whatever it is. You know, you have to surround yourself with different people. Could be family. They're super good at causing relapses. I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying they're super good at 
pushing your buttons, right? You know, go home and visit mom and now you want to get drunk, you know. <laughs> Sorry to all the moms out there. It could be the other way around. <laughs> You're a mom and your kid is constantly triggering you, right? So um, those are things that getting into group counseling or therapy or even just a sponsor can help you uh, figure out so that when you're, because sometimes we have to move away from the family unit for a while. Sometimes we have to cut ties for good, unfortunately. Other times we just need to to stay away for a while, get some sobriety behind us a year, a couple years, and then we're strong enough to go back into that environment with, with better boundaries and better coping skills so that we can separate ourselves from the triggering or the dysfunction and not let it cause us to spiral out of control. And that's very common in my, I had to do that, you know. So in order to do that, you need support. You can't do this alone. Doesn't work that way. It's a team effort. You need support. You need community friends, family, if, if that works, family support groups, therapists, reach out to those people. There's plenty of people that want to help you, um, you know, move forward. Obviously, prayer is huge. We talk about the serenity prayer a lot. And this is a big deal because a lot of times, you know, we're relapsing because we're, we're, we're having a lot of negative emotions and we're trying to deal with it all by ourselves. you know, without this, this whole concept of admitted we were powerless over our addiction our life had become unmanageable. That step one came to believe that a power greater than ourselves, God, Jesus Christ, for me, could restore us to sanity. So, you know, if, if we're if we're not, um, people stumble over step two all the time. You know, we, we admitted that someone else could restore us to sanity. Came to believe that 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 God could. Um, could restore our sanity. What is insanity is a, it's a lot of different things when it comes to addiction recovery, but most of us would agree that the things that happen during our addiction are pretty insane. And then sometimes even when we get sober, our emotions are pretty insane and they can be very triggering if we don't practice that serenity prayer and, and, and just say, I'm powerless over this chaotic thing I'm thinking or doing right now. And I, God, I just need your help to let go of it. So the serenity prayer can be a big lifeline, especially when we're dealing with relapse, right? Imagine you've, you've slipped up, you've had this relapse, you're beating yourself up. And then you remember, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change this relapse I just had. The courage to change the things I can. Okay, so I had five beers. I don't have to have 20 and go on a five-day bender. I can stop here. Okay. And then the wisdom to know the difference. What's the difference? What is that? Could be, could be that we're had, we had five beers and we're contemplating having 10 more. And in the middle of it, we're angry at our stepfather because he beat us up when we were a child. So we're going to sit there 
and lament that over. Like, we're just going to be angry about that. So that's the difference. I can't change that. You can't change that. It really sucks, but you can't change it, right? I don't have to keep drinking. I can stop right now. I can move forward. I can accept that I was beat up by my stepfather, right? It's not fair. It's not right. But now, with God's help, it's my responsibility to make better choices, even in the midst of life's ridiculous unfairness. So there are those things we can't control. And a lot of it has to do with hurts, habits, hangups, right? That's the celebrate recovery one. But so those are things that we can't change. But if we're going to obsess about it for hours and hours and hours, we're still trying to change it. We're still trying to control it, right? We may not be calling people on the phone or going and picking fights with that person, which some of us do. But if you were like me, you would just sit around and obsess about things. That's still trying to control what you can't change. There are some things about those situations that we can change, and that's where we pray for the wisdom to know the difference. Maybe we need to call our stepfather and say, look, this is what you did to me, and I need to get this out, and I need to tell you what I think, and you need to know how much you hurt me, and blah. And sometimes that can be very helpful. That's where you need good advice, because sometimes it can wound you Again, because they may not care. A lot of times people like that don't care. Um, So it just depends. But, you know, so first there's the serenity part, except the things we can't change, right? We're letting go of the guilt, the shame, all that stuff that comes with the relapse. Because if you beat yourself up for it, that's not going to change it. It's only going to make it worse. It's only going to make it worse. Whereas if you accept it and choose to move forward in a positive way based on your goals, based on what you've learned, it's going to make it better. That's the accept what I can change, the courage to change what I can. So, right? You pick yourself up, dust yourself off, get back on track, and then you face the demons, Right? Taking the the stepfather issue. Let's face it. So every time I think about that, you know, SOB, I relapse. So this is a trigger. This is a problem. Or every time I see him or every time, you know, whatever it is. So that's the demon that we got to face. So that's where it's, I can't change what he did. But God, give me the wisdom to know the difference. What's the difference? What's the difference? I can't change what he did, but I could I could go to therapy. I could confront him if <laughs> the therapist suggests it's right. Right? There's things I could do to work through this. And that's where the courage. Accept what I can't change. The courage to change what I can and the wisdom to know the difference. The getting therapy, the getting help. The not wallowing in negative emotions, the confronting 
the aggressor if it's safe, right? Those are the courage to change what we can. Obsessing over what he did, that's the difference. You, you, you can't change that. I sure wish we could, right? So what's the, the wisdom to know the difference? This is the clarity. This is where we start to see clearly. We distinguish between what we can control and what we can't. And if you can't control it, whew, you got to let it go. Because that's what makes us, you know, want to drink and use and eat cupcakes, red velvet. Mm. So, I mean, you, you, you think it'd be easy to distinguish what we can control and what we can't, but I mean, it's really not. I mean, I would always obsess over everything. Oh. And I remember literally, I felt like the Lord spoke to me in the shower, not audible. I wish not one of those people that hears audible voices of the Lord. But um, I felt like he said, you know, you spend so much time trying to control things that you can't control that you miss the opportunity to control what you can. So I could obsess that my boss doesn't like me night after night after night after night after night, or I could do something about it. Because if I'm actively trying to rectify, change the situation, switch jobs, figure out what I'm doing wrong, get an evaluation, have a conversation with him, well, that takes away from <clears throat> a lot of the time that I'd sit there and obsess. And that's what I did. And then I would drink to try to get some of that power back. Because it's all like this power play, like, well, he hates me and I can't do anything about it. But if I get drunk, I'm kind of doing something about the situation. It makes me feel powerful that I'm doing something about it, right? That sounds crazy. But that's what they say, that the part of addiction is um, a replacement for what we lack the courage to do. And that's actually how I was using my addiction. So... Serenity prayer is a big one. And then through that, the Lord can show us how to begin to understand the root causes, the why behind what we're doing. It's not just about the substance. It never is. It's usually always deeper than that. We're coping with pain, trauma, emotional baggage that we're carrying around. Maybe you've had some tough stuff in your life that have left deep scars on your heart, your soul, and Instead of dealing with it head on, you're turning to addiction, you're numbing the pain, you're escaping reality. This is, this is what we do. And by the way, it's normal. We're trying to fix what's wrong. It's actually a pretty normal reaction to trauma and pain. You know, so, so addiction, it feels like a solution, especially if you have chemical imbalances, right? So if you were born with a nice, perfect brain, and then you're six months old and you start getting abused. Let's just put it this way. Your brain develops differently. And we're going to get into this when we talk about medication, because a lot of people, especially in the church, say medication's bad because, you know, you should be the way God created you. Well, I, I was that way until the abuse screwed up my brain and my neurons and it wired me all wrong. I need some help unwiring it. That's all 
that medication can do, and it can be very helpful. But at any rate, we're talking about um, some of the the underlying issues. So, again, natural reaction. We're trying to trying to numb the pain, um, and then but then we have to realize addiction's a band aid. Right? It, it's it's a band aid for this gaping wound that's under here, and it doesn't fix the problem. Right? It, it's temporary. It alleviates things temporarily. But then the pain, it's just going to continue to resurface and to resurface and to resurface until we root out what's really causing it. I think most of us understand that. It's just doing it is the harder part. Um, So sometimes we have to dig into this stuff. And it doesn't have to be this horrible, intense thing that a lot of people think it is, especially guys. Like, you don't have to go to the therapist all the time and cry. And I mean, (laughs) you could just kind of work through some of this stuff. Like, it doesn't always have to be super intense. It can actually be kind of a fun journey, you know. Um, But again, it's like, why? What's What's the why behind it? Why are we turning to this substance, you know? Why are we turning to these behaviors to cope? What are we trying to escape? You know, what trauma are we trying to numb? When we come, we want to look at it. We want to deal with it. And we want to um, develop healthier coping strategies, healthier ways, uh, alternative ways to deal with this pain and trauma, right? So that doesn't always have to be this super intense digging up all this deep, dark stuff. It can be. Or we can just really work on finding healthier coping strategies. Just depends on what works for you. I love going deep and oh, figuring it all out. But you don't always have to do that, you know. But the thing with relapse and and sobriety and stuff like that is it's a learning experience. One of the things you have to do is be honest. You know, you have to at least have some honesty. I mean, they say anyone can recover, even people with grave mental, emotional, and physical disorders, if they have the capacity to be honest. If you're one of those people that's always getting fired from jobs and it's always someone else's fault, you know those people like, it's always someone else. So you're going to have a really hard time in recovery because you're always going to be triggered to relapse by what other people are doing. And you're never going to look at like your part. You know, I had to look at my personality and my codependency and how I would allow these crazy people in my life to take over. I had to look at all that and how I was allowing these things to happen to me, these betrayals especially in radio. Gosh, what an industry. And so, you know, and I was just kind of, let's all get along. You know, I mean, I had to be a little tougher than that, right? That's all I'm saying. And I had to kind of look at like how I was allowing these things. You know, I had to get really honest with how weak I was. I mean, I had this front like oh you know I'm on the radio and I'm tough and I'm you know all this stuff and I mean I was just a big mush ball you know I was trying to cover up for that and so it's about like if you think everything's everybody else's fault that's not true sometimes 
you know, you're to blame. Whereas for me, like I would take sort of the blame for everything and be all codependent. It's usually, again, like the humility thing, like it's somewhere in the middle and we just have to start to get honest and look at things realistically. And that's a big part of recovery because, you know, if we're blaming everyone else or if we're letting everyone take advantage of us, that's very triggering. We're going to, we're going to, it's going to cause these triggers. We're going to struggle. We're going to relapse and then think it's somebody else's fault. And, you know, um, so it's really just looking at our part in a situation. You, you know, I can't change what someone else does, but I can look at my part, figure it out. Obviously, there's plenty of blame to go around in the world. <laughs> we know that. But I can look at my part, you know. Um, so it's, that's the courage part, right, is to, is to really face the addiction at its core, confront the past, the demons, learn healthier ways to navigate the ups and downs. And it takes courage. You know, sometimes we do have to relive some of that trauma. But it's also very empowering because we, when we confront that past head on, that's when that darkness can start to heal. You know, I mean, I had anxiety attacks and, you know, I was, I had an anxiety disorder. I still struggle with it. Massive insomnia. I can still go days and not really sleep very much. Once I accepted that, it got a lot easier. And then I had to look at why I had all of this anxiety and, and the issues with my boundaries and the issues with not separating myself from other people. It was all enmeshed with people. And so it was easy for me to just take on their feelings, like literally take them on. Like I could leave a party and feel like be take in someone else's weirdness or grief and, and, um, so that was a really hard part. That's kind of what, what codependency is. I didn't, you know, I was afraid to kind of be myself because they might not like me or whatever. And then, and then it led into just a lot of free floating anxiety where I was just anxious all the time. And so I had to look at what I was doing and how to stop doing that. And that's when a lot of the anxiety went away, but I also needed the courage, right? So God, I can't change this, but what can I do? How do I stand up for myself? And that was brutal. Like that was super hard, super hard because I hate conflict, you know, and, and so that was extraordinarily hard. It's still hard. It's really hard. Uh, it, again, it's a, it's a lifelong battle. And that's where the prayer comes in because I really have to, you know, have God show me like, do I really need to call that person or to do that thing. And usually the answer is yes. And those are the things I hate. So once I get the yes, then it's help me to do it. Help me to do it. Cause if I don't do it, it's not going to change the root cause of the underlying issue of this, this, um, anxiety disorder, which is what led to the addiction. Makes sense. <sighs> And that's where we need the Lord because we're trying to unpack all this stuff, right? Temptations, struggles, relapse, control issues, and then we throw in life, kids, marriage, jobs, all those sorts of things, right? But God is there. We're not alone. His promise, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He says, 
I am close to the brokenhearted. I save those who are crushed in spirit. Now, to be crushed in spirit and to hit rock bottom and to reach out to God, that's humility, right? So we do that. God says, I'm with you. I am your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's that beacon of hope in the darkness when we're struggling with addiction. Here's a cool one. Zephaniah, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. Try not to let my microphone fall over. Um, He will take delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. He will rejoice over you with singing. So even in the midst of our dysfunction and sin and relapse, he's still there to pick us up. He's not beating us up. He's not blaming us. He's not shaming us. But he is saying, this thing's got you. You don't get to do it on your own. You can't pull yourself out of this on your own. I can help you with my righteous right hand. And I can show you what you're trying to control, what you need to let go of, and what it is that, you know, the difference in the serenity prayer that you need to do so that you can work through it. Okay. And then, you know, finally, uh, support is going to be huge, right? Um, Connection, support is enormous. A lot of people say lack of connection is the root of addiction. I agree with that to some extent, you know. Um, And when we're grappling with addiction and relapse, we can't do this alone. We need friends and support and our fellow recovery warriors to walk alongside us. Um, Those are the people that are going to have your back. Sponsorship is huge. Someone who who can walk this journey with you that's been there, right, that's been through recovery, and they can be your cheerleader, the person that you uh, talk with. You know, once I got into AA and I got a sponsor, I never drank again, and I haven't drank since. That was 18 years ago. And I had that accountability every day for like, I don't know, several months I had to get up early and do this um, pray, and then I had to call a support community, and I had to do this daily sobriety renewal. (laughs) I know, I roll my eyes, but that's, I mean, I had that every day, so I was breaking those habits, and I had that uh, accountability, and it was huge. And that was what I needed to break that, um, you know, to create those new habits. So initially, it's not about digging into all the psychology. It's just about getting some support and getting some sober time. And and then from there, we can, you know, work on the other stuff, right? So accountability is huge. It's the glue that holds it together. We take responsibility for our actions. We're honest with ourselves and others. We're in a recovery community, we check in with a sponsor, maybe we go to meetings, maybe we journal with other people, prayer, pray with other people, maybe it's the church, maybe it's celebrate recovery, right? The thing about the the scripture about two are better than one and all that stuff, it's huge. The Lord uh, wired us for community. So whether or not we like it or not, sometimes I'd much rather go it alone. I'm kind of an introvert. I'm like, oh, 
You know, why do I have to keep connecting? Because that's just how we're made. Okay. And finally, I know I said finally last time, but finally again, this is finally, finally, I want to look at medication a little bit. I've had to take medication um, for anxiety and depression and sleep, and that's just the way it is. And I, you know, it, and, and so I want to look at that because addiction, again, disrupts this balance of neurotransmitters in our brain, right? We can feel trapped in that cycle of, of craving and withdrawal. And so, you know, if it's opiates and stuff like that, you can do methadone and stuff like that. A lot of people are against that. But if you do the deal right and you start a program, you do counseling, and then you titrate down, meaning you're doing less and less and less so that the withdrawal symptoms aren't as bad, you can successfully overcome that opiate addiction because uh, opiates are very, very hard to quit on your own. You know, there's different medications like Anabuse or whatever that makes you sick when you drink alcohol. So those are things for addiction in and of itself. Then there's things like what I've had to take, like Lexapro, which is an SSRI, which is just um, serotonin, gives you more serotonin. You know, I have a huge serotonin imbalance. Remember, if there was trauma or something in your brain is wired incorrectly from that, a lot of times these medications can help. So instead of looking at it as a negative, it can be a very powerful tool against relapse. If we have clinical depression and negative emotions are the number one cause of relapse, well, maybe an antidepressant can help us, you know? So it's not a weakness. It's actually a strength. You're saying, I can't, I, I, I don't want to live miserable anymore and I don't want to relapse and maybe this can help me. And again, yes, it's stigmatized in the church a lot of times and in the world, right? That, you know, live how God created you. But remember, we're born into a sinful world where trauma occurs, right? There's the world, the flesh, the devil. These things impact us. They impact our neurology. They impact everything, and so sometimes we need some help to rewire our brain. It's just the way it is. It doesn't mean you always have to be on medication. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. You know. So it's really about, you know, with relapse, really learning from the experience, growing from it, not beating ourselves up, reaching out for support, understanding it's a normal part of recovery, practicing that humility, and then we want to care for ourselves, the spiritual piece, the emotional piece, the mental piece, um, the, the physical piece. By embracing all these avenues of healing, we can really enhance our well-being, and that's going to that's gonna really help us um, combat relapse. So again, it might feel like a setback. You veered off course. It's just a bump in the road, friends. It's a bump in the road on your way to becoming whole and healed. So thank you so much for listening if you're listening on the app. Or thank you so much for watching if you're on YouTube. Again, share this program with anyone you know who might benefit. Genuine Life Recovery, it is available 
uh, on, again, most of the apps, most of your favorite apps, and uh, YouTube as well. So, uh, and if you leave a review on iTunes or whatever app you're listening to, that would be awesome. So thank you so much for listening, friends, and have an amazing rest of your day or afternoon or morning or whatever it is, whatever time it is when you're listening. God bless you. Thank you so much, friends, for listening to Genuine Life Recovery, playing on your favorite app or on my website at jodystevens.org. It's J-O-D-I-E-S-T-E-V-E-N-S, jodystevens.org. There you can check out my podcast, blog, recovery coaching info, speaking, and more. Check it out.